Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, after hours of negotiations, the government and the opposition agree to pass emergency legislation. It's become pretty apparent that all the parties want to do what they can to make sure the government has what it needs to tackle this multi-headed dragon that is facing the country right now. Nearly one million Canadians have applied for employment insurance. We recognize the need uh, to help Canadians directly and quickly. People are worried about affording their groceries, they're worried about paying their rent, they're worried about uh, how they're going to stay safe and keep their families safe when uh, they don't have revenue coming in. That's why we've put forward uh, measures that will uh, get money out to them quickly. And three more candidates join Aaron O'Toole in calling for the Conservative leadership race to be delayed. To ensure that all time and resources of our Conservative caucus and our grassroots members can be focused on helping our constituents and the needs of our communities in the fight against COVID-19. It's Wednesday, March 25th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald, Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So we have a deal. Uh, The government has backed down on a few things that it was going to put into this bill, including uh, sweeping spending powers that would have lasted quite a long time. Um, They've they've stepped away from that. Uh, There is agreement from the opposition. This bill is going to pass and the emergency measures are going to go into effect. What do you think are some of the lessons arising from the standoff, the negotiations and the outcome? Well, um, we're in uncharted territory here, Mark. Everybody is. The country is. The citizens are. The government is. uh, And the political parties are as well. And I think as this thing has uh, played itself out, it's become pretty apparent that all the parties want to do what they can to make sure the government has what it needs to tackle this um, multi-headed dragon that uh, that is facing the country right now. Um, but at the same time, I, I could never understand a parliament, uh, would never, ever, no parliament with, uh, worth its salt, would agree to just allow the government and democratic state to just spend at will with no accountability whatsoever for long periods of time. And that appears to have been the stumbling block, well, it was the stumbling block, the opposition came right out and said that, that they just did not want to give the Liberals uh, over a year, basically, of, uh, you know, free pass, get-out-of-jail-free card to spend on whatever they want with no uh, accountability until much later. So that is, uh, you can't throw the whole government out with uh, with the crisis. It's still a democracy, and, and I think the opposition was well within its rights and, and, and making a righteous point by saying, look, we'll, we want you guys to, to have powers and get things done, but we're not just giving you a blank check with no recourse later. So um, it was overreached by the government, and um, but I'm glad it appears now that they do have a deal to get this $82 billion out there into the economy. It is interesting, though, uh, to, to have a situation where, uh, because of the dynamics of this crisis, it's difficult for Parliament to actually sit. Parliament sat, of course, during wartime, uh, during other crises, but 
but last night and this morning, uh, they were there was a small number of parliamentarians all sitting at least two meters apart uh, as part of the measures that are in place to to stem the the, the spread of this outbreak. Uh, so I, I know a lot of people are raising questions like, well, why can't we have electronic meetings? Why can't we have other mechanisms in place? Uh, because if this is a prolonged crisis, at some point you you have to think Parliament does need to meet again and it does need to make decisions, doesn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it does have to meet. It does have to make decisions. And, and I'm sure there are many rules in the parliamentary uh, rule book that, that state that everybody must be there and you have to be in the same room, et cetera, et cetera. Um, however, Parliament does have the powers to reform its own rules and can do that pretty quickly. And it can't. It, I don't see any reason why, for instance, you couldn't have the Finance Committee meeting over a conference, uh, video conference of some sort, uh, why you couldn't have special committees of all parties um, working on specific issues that have arisen from the crisis. Um, so, you know, we have the technology. Canada is a leader in this type of, uh, of technology, and there's no reason why uh, that sort of practice couldn't be adopted to keep everybody safe, but to keep the wheels of government moving. Um, so again, as you as you alluded, and everyone knows now, I mean, this is really different. This is not the Second World War. Um, this is not an economic uh, shock like OPEC in the 70s or something. This is uh, way different and new, and uh, creative uh, approaches and technology should be employed in order to keep uh, the democratic protections that we need in place. All right, let's talk about the economic impact of this. We've learned that almost a million Canadians have applied for employment insurance since this crisis began. That's a staggering number, obviously. We're only just beginning to understand the scope of the economic impact. But what do you think is happening out there, and and what can the government do about it? Well, the economy is slowly strangling right before our eyes, uh, at least those of us who ever see it anymore. Uh, you know, most of us are at home, uh, sheltering in place, so to speak, and hoping for the best and hoping that this will resolve itself before too long. Um, you know, the money that Parliament is in the process of approving, uh, and looks like it is going to be approved today, uh, is is you know, needed everywhere across the economy. If you talk about a million Canadians applying for unemployment, I think that's around double that's ever happened uh, all at once, and certainly in a week or in a few days, the way this phenomenon has occurred. Um, you know, if the system is, e- is able to manage that, then, wow, that's a pretty good system. Uh, but what, it's, uh, what it indicates is just the mass economic dislocation that is taking place everywhere in Canada, uh, not just Alberta or not just, you know, the Maritimes or something like that. There, there's all kinds of problems right across the board. And, and you know, look, you have different provinces looking at essential services and essential workers from different points of view. So there will be a patchwork response across the country. Uh, but it is important that the national government get out there and get, get ahead of this and, and provide some guidance for the whole country. Let's talk about the Conservative leadership race. Aaron O'Toole was one of the first to say it should be postponed. Now other candidates are saying the same thing. Peter McKay has a different view. Uh, uh, It's hard to ignore 
the fact that uh, if you're the front runner in the race, you want it shorter. And if you're a challenger, you want it to last longer. Uh, there are arguments to be made in both uh, on both sides, obviously, about whether the Conservatives need their new leader in place as soon as possible because it's a time of crisis or whether this is a huge distraction and, and the party should not be focused on this at this time. What do you think about that? Well, you know, it, the, these I have some sympathy for the Conservative Party in this issue. It is not their fault that their um, leadership convention and, and campaign comes astride this crisis. Um, but the, um, you know, it, it is interesting dynamics here that three of the third tier, second tier, third tier candidates, uh, Marilyn Gladue, Rudy Husney, and Derek Sloan are, are the ones that want this all delayed. I mean, they want some of their money back. They want this to be delayed well into the, late into the year. Um, and But if you're Peter McKay and you're perceived and, and feel yourself to be the front runner, you want to hurry it up and get it done. And, and I can understand the case that, look, this is the time the party needs a recognized leader and somebody who has the uh, uh, bona fides to lead the party at this time of crisis. Uh, but, you know, I don't know how they're going to name a leader uh, within the compressed time period that's there. Uh, you know, again, this is something that technology can, can help with. Um, but I, I'm not really surprised that the front runner wants to just end the campaign, haul the, call the vote now, and those who still have faint hopes of maybe making yards as the campaign goes on. Some of these candidates are really there to make a point, too, eh, Mark? And the longer the campaign goes on the, in an ordinary environment, the, the more often they'd be able to get into debates and issue releases and build support for their ideas. Um, in this situation, I, I just don't, I don't really see how the party is going to benefit from uh, a protracted campaign. So uh, maybe it'll be able to do it in June as planned, uh, just in a different way. All right, Dan, great to have your thoughts on all of this today. Thank you very much. Okay, Mark, stay safe. That's Dan Legere, author and op-ed columnist for the Chronicle Herald. Canadians are used to doing hard things. Let's not tire or give up too soon. We need to get this done. So let's plank that curve. Thank you. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At cbc.ca, Dr. Taylor Lockheed calls on Canadians to give our stretched healthcare system a fighting chance. Lockheed writes, The message has been lost on some who continue to operate under the assumption that this outbreak isn't serious. If we don't flatten the curve of infections, we will exceed the capacity of our health care system. If hospitals are overrun, everyone requiring medical care will be affected. Even common emergency visits and elective surgeries will become stressful or nearly impossible. There will be an impact on everyone. Social distancing will be hard, but the alternative is devastating. At globalnews.ca, Tasha Carradine argues the coronavirus crisis is ushering in a survivalist economy. Carradine writes, money will be tight. No more racking up the credit card. Every purchase will have to be weighed and calibrated, and the impact of this change cannot be overstated. It goes beyond businesses, economies, and borders. It goes to the very core of our consumption-fueled society. It will affect not only people and companies, but our worldview as well. Whether it will represent a short-term period of personal austerity or a permanent paradigm shift remains to be seen. In the National Post, Chris Selly asks how much credibility the Conservatives will squander before inevitably postponing their leadership race. Selly writes, 
Every day they delay hurts the parties and the candidates' credibility. They clearly cannot resist using the pandemic as a way to attack Justin Trudeau and his government. It's understandable that the leadership campaigns need to take swings. That's what leadership campaigns do. And that's exactly why no party should be having a leadership race at a time like this. A lot of people they need to vote for them down the line are going to remember those swings as cheap shots. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister is expected to speak with other world leaders about the coronavirus situation today. We'll also chair the federal cabinet meeting and we'll address Canadians from Ottawa at 11.15 Eastern Time. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, March 25th. Tune in to CPAC throughout the day today for continuing coverage of the coronavirus crisis, plus primetime politics tonight. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.